Good afternoon and welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream. Today is Monday, December 13th. I'm Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, as always on Mondays, joined by Ian O'Connor from Edge Sports to recap Week 14, want to welcome all of our audience live streaming on YouTube and Twitch, Twitter and Facebook, or if you're listening to us after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network, please make sure you subscribe to the show on your platform of choice. And of course, FO Plus subscriptions still on sale, 99 cents a week, so get it while we've got it. Uh, all of our advanced stats and splits fantasy football research data, picks against the spread, and more, go to footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. So week 14 sucked for a long time. <laughs> the early window was a lot of blowouts and just ugly games between bad teams, and it really wasn't exciting. And then it looked like the late, uh, the late window was going to be blowouts too. And then around 7 o'clock, everything got awesome, and we ended up, with two games simultaneously in overtime, both with heavy playoff ramifications. So let's talk first about the game of the week, which was the Buffalo Bills and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The epic comeback for the Bills to force overtime came all the way back from being down, I believe, 27-10 at one point uh, to tie it, force overtime, but Tom Brady won it in overtime. Yes. Yeah, it ended up being the only the third most impactful play of the weekend, but it was a great play. The newly, I guess, re-signed Rashad Perriman, who was just there a couple years ago, I think, uh, with Jameis. He's bounced around a lot of different teams. Mm -hmm. He was supposed to be big in Detroit this year, and then he never made the team. And then he was on Tampa Bay's practice squad, and then they've like signed him back sometime in the last couple of weeks. But yep. yeah. Yeah, he was, if I remember correctly, I think I had it was kind of a late season fantasy, kind of fantasy playoff hero a couple years ago with Jameis uh, late. But, yeah, he's back with the Bucks, and he took a pass from Tom Brady, uh, only five minutes, 42 seconds left in the overtime, so about halfway in, third and three on their own 42. The Bills looking to get a big stop to try and get that ball back. But he took a pass coming across from left to right, caught it, and went upfield 58 yards for the touchdown. Obviously, the game winner walk off a 36% increase in win probability for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the rest is history in that one. And we should point out the 36% uh, increase in game-winning chance means that the Bucs were already favored to win the game when they made that pass, because even though they were on their own half of the field, you know, they had the ball. Mm -hmm. They were third in three. Third and three. Um field goal wins the game at that point so they were they yeah, were the favorite at that point they were the favorites and it's worth pointing out too that that is including 50 percent is included for those of you watching that don't know we do give 50 percent for a tie so it counts as half of a win so uh you know the closer it gets into the end of overtime um the closer and closer those numbers get to 50 um with the likelihood of a tie as opposed to dropping down to zero yeah tampa bay was still still the favorites there like you said aaron Pretty good situation, third and three, but with that offense, you know, that's not not a, that's a pretty good conversion rate, I would think, and they converted it for that and some, uh, as we said, going from 64 up to 100%. So the Bills managed to make the big comeback and make it a close game, but Sean McDermott, who has in the past been a very aggressive for an NFL head coach, but made a lot of small errors that piled up throughout this game, yes? Yeah, he came into this game, uh, he was fifth in our coach rankings overall, only 15th in CCI, which is the fourth down decision-making metric, was 12th a week uh, prior last week, dropped a few spots, but typically is pretty good. And this was actually a game that uh, in our coach rankings video last week, Katie George and I pointed out this was one of our head coach matchups to watch because of the fact that, you know, Arians overall isn't terrible. He's 15th or 14th overall, but 29th in CCI, a guy that just doesn't... To be fair, it seems like the Bucks aren't really in a ton of fourth down scenarios where they should go for it. But when they are, he's way more conservative uh, than many other coaches or most other coaches at 29th in CCI. I mentioned Sean McDermott, 15th. Not great like he has been, but still middle of the pack. And it came down to there were three decisions that don't show up in our top 10 or our top fives at all this week, but they're still notable. The first one was early on down 10-0, uh, about five minutes into the second quarter. 
chooses to go or chooses to kick a field goal on fourth and goal at the three. Cost them 2.2% in pre-snap win probability. Again, not a huge number. The Bucks were already favorites coming into this game. So a 10-0 lead, you know, get into the second quarter, got them up to where it would take a lot for, to make that a really big decision. Um, but still, that's that's an important one. You know, they cut it to 10 to 3, but ended up getting down 24 to 3 later in the third quarter, or later in the game down the third quarter, down 21. Got fourth and two on his own 45. He chooses to call a fake punt, which we agree with the decision to go for. It's only about a half percent increase, but the you know it didn't fool anyone in Tampa Bay. I think it ended up being like a three-yard loss. But in that situation, you know, there's there is often something to the element of surprise. Like we've mentioned that maybe a couple times on here. But when you've got an offense, you know, the offense isn't great, but you've got a quarterback with Josh Allen that can run the ball well, that's mobile. He's got you know, those weapons and Stephon Diggs and Dawson Knox and Cole Beasley out there. You know, he's got guys that can make plays. I would much rather have the ball in his hands than to put it in my my punt team's hands to pick up that first down. Especially already down 24 to 3. You really have nothing to lose at that point. Um, they were down pretty low and went for, this was only, I said, a 0.6% increase in pre-snap win probability. So so really, you've got nothing to lose. If you're going to go for it anyway with a fake, you might as well leave your offense on the field. Didn't convert. Tampa Bay ended up getting down and getting a field goal. It was 27 to 3. And then they got the ball back. They were able to score a touchdown, but then they, it was 24. Or sorry, it was 24. They got the ball back. It was 24 to 10. They faced fourth and three after scoring a touchdown. Again, from their own 45-yard line, only a yard further back. And we're later in the game. And if he's willing to run a fake punt then, you would think he'd at least be willing to go for it now doesn't chooses to to punt in this situation it's a 1.4 percent loss in pre-snap win probability and tampa gets the field going of the bills you mentioned are able to get the comeback to tie it and force overtime but those decisions added up to to really a, a game that they could have won that in over or in regulation you know there's no guarantee they convert those but you would expect them to convert at least one of those if not two or all of them um, and this maybe wouldn't even have come down to overtime. So really surprising from Sean McDermott, like you said, you think he's been a little bit more aggressive recently, or at least in recent years, but the last couple of weeks have been kind of a rough week and dropped him down a little bit. Yeah. The other thing is that he failed the go for two down 11 test, mm -hmm. which is similar to the go for two down eight test. When you need two touchdowns and a field goal, it's similar to when you need two touchdowns after you score that first touchdown, you should go for two. Like this is one of the things that analytics has made really, really clear. And McDermott did not do it. Yeah. So really surprising. We actually did have a couple teams that did the, the down nine go for two. The Ravens did it. They failed. Were able to get a touchdown and then set them up with a, you know, they knew they needed a touchdown mm -hmm. and a field goal, set them up for that situation, recovering the onside kick, kick, which we'll get to. But then the Panthers were about to, they had a false start. Uh, on their two-point conversion that weren't able to or ended up kicking the field goal. But, you know, both coaches made the right – and those were just minutes apart right. in real times. So yeah, Sean McDermott. The extra point. 11. The extra point. And the Panthers made the right decision in that going for two was the right decision. Mm -hmm. And then when it was knocked back five yards, kicking the extra point became the right decision. Yeah. So another big uh, back-and-forth game from yesterday afternoon happened simultaneously with the Bucks and Bills. Uh, Bengals, rough go of it offensively leading into the in the heading into the fourth quarter. They were down 20 to six, and then the LSU connection of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase got awesome. And first, they brought it to a one score game at 20 to 13. So let's talk about the crucial error that Kyle Shanahan made giving the ball back to the Bengals with just a few minutes remaining. Yeah, this was a really fun time during the day. Like you said, you had the two games going simultaneously over time. You know, red zone was flipping back and forth from each game. The LSU connection had been kind of dormant for a while since that Baltimore game where Jamar Chase went off, uh, kind of erupted this game with two touchdowns. Could have been three. Uh, Jamar Chase just barely dropped one in the end zone. But, yeah, Shanahan almost ruined this one. Or I guess he kind of did because the Bengals ended up tying the game. But down only seven. The 49ers had the ball fourth and two on their own 37, 247 left. So Shanahan came into this game eighth in our coach rankings. He was, I think, ninth uh, in, in CCI. No, sorry, he was further down. It was Kingsbury. I'm thinking of. He's 17th in CCI, so only middle of the pack. He's had a handful of kind of questionable decisions. We had the, the fourth and two, I think, or fourth and goal at the two against the, uh, to the Jaguars on the opening drive, kicked a field goal. Ended up not being a close game, but he hasn't been as conservative 
uh, or hasn't been as aggressive as he should have been, as he has been in the past. He's kind of goes back and forth. But this one, less than three minutes left up seven, choosing to punt was a 5.2% error. Second worst fourth down error of the week. And this one, we talked about it on the, the podcast we did earlier here this morning that I did with Scott Brown here at Edge Sports. And when it gets down into the end of the game like that, the model, you know, some people say our model is a little bit more aggressive. It does a really good job with those late game scenarios. There are some people that say, you know, the late game models are, are you know, very hard to do. You can't really get them right. Well, we, over the years, are, really feel strongly in ours that we've gotten this one right because the way we kind of talk through it is it, it knows that coaches act differently in the running down at the end of the game. So instead of just assuming 30 or 40 seconds is going to run off like a normal play throughout the game, running down the, the play clock, it knows that coaches are going to be more aggressive, but also they're going to run plays where they're able to get out of bounds and stop the clock after, you know, with a five, six second play, or they're going to hurry up and get up to the line and be able to snap it within 20 seconds. So it becomes, it knows that the other team is going to have to be aggressive uh, if they punt. And in a situation, even if San Francisco doesn't get it, worst case scenario, which is going to be difficult, is the Bengals score a touchdown, score a two-point conversion to take the lead. You probably still have some time left if you're Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers. They still had a couple timeouts. I actually think they might have had all three of their timeouts um, in this situation. No, so they had just two timeouts left. Uh, but still, two timeouts, the two-minute warning. If you don't get it and the Bengals score a touchdown, an extra point and tie it up, you've still likely got time to kick a game-winning field goal. The way it turned out, they punted. Uh, Cincinnati was forced to uh, – they were yeah, they punted. Cincinnati went down and tied the game, you know, being, uh, like I said, a 5.2% error. Forcing overtime, San Francisco had a chance to win it but couldn't, couldn't connect. Got in an overtime. But that's a situation where with that team, you know, the way they run the ball, uh, would like to run the ball. George Kittle had a huge game. It seems like he – if they would have thrown it to him, he would have caught it no matter where the pass was thrown. If it was 20 feet over his head, he would have jumped and caught it. Um, but just a, a really very conservative decision from Shanahan, which isn't really surprising given kind of the way he's, he's been lately. So Burrow threw it to Chase again, touchdown. Like you said, uh, Robbie Gould missed a field goal as time expired, so overtime. Let's talk about kicking a field goal in overtime because the Bengals got the ball first, made it to fourth and seven on the San Francisco 23, and chose to kick a field goal to take the lead. Now, on the surface, this sounds right, like the right decision, like you're taking the lead. Fourth and seven is a hard one to convert. It's not fourth and one or fourth and two, but the model disagrees. Yeah, I was actually pretty surprised when I ran this one yesterday during this game, thinking the same thing as you. You're fourth and seven. It's going to be a field goal. But no, it, it likes the decision to go for it. If this would have been a fourth and one or fourth and two, I would say it would have been a huge error to kick the field goal here. And I am, you know, not, I don't, I'm not certain that Zach Taylor would have kicked the field goal there. You know, he comes in on the 18th in our coach rankings, kind of middle of the pack in CCI, but he's been fairly aggressive this year. Now, in this game, he had a fourth and one field goal from the 19 early in the game, a fourth and two field goal. From he has the 10. Not, this game was very conservative. Both coaches yes. punted and kicked field goals on fourth and short over and over again throughout this game. Hmm. And lately, it seems like both coaches have been like that. You know, they started off with like Zach Taylor had the one fourth and one in week one at his own 29, 24, whatever it was, went for it, didn't get it. Um, Minnesota ended up forcing overtime in that one. Shanahan, I always think back to the one with Shanahan a few years ago. He was very, he was very aggressive. I think it was the year they made the Super Bowl, lost to the Chiefs. But he had a fourth down. He went for it against, um, I think he went for it against the Falcons, didn't get it, or he, he didn't go for it. He had been aggressive all year. Chose not to go for it, and Atlanta went down, ended up scoring a touchdown to win the game late. That um, seems like you know since then he he's kind of stuck to that. Whatever it was in that game, he just kind of flipped the switch and has been pretty conservative uh, throughout the last couple of years. And like you said, both coaches did that in this game. But fourth and seven, you, yes, that's a tough one to convert. But even if you kick the field goal, you kick off. San Francisco is in a similar position as they would be if you go for it and you don't get it. You know, a touchback puts them at the 25. If you miss this field goal, um, if you miss the field goal, they're at the 31. If you get it and don't go for it and don't get it, they're at the 23. You know, they're still going to go down and try and get a field goal. Yes, you force them to score a touchdown to win. But even if they go down and kick a field goal, you know, this is something Scott Brown talked about this morning. If they get the field goal, the way overtime works, it's not like you get another quarter after the time runs out. 
They're going right. to use most of that clock. There's six and a half minutes left. It's going to take time to get down the field. They're going to try and get it to where if they do have to have to settle for a field goal, they don't want to leave you much time left to, to go down and score to win the game. So it, it is a little kind of questionable maybe on the surface, but the model you know, is very good. Um, like in overtime, it's a little bit more difficult, but still it's very good when it comes to these late game and overtime situations on knowing you know, when to go for it and when not to. A famous man once said, you play to win the game. You don't play just to buy it. You play to win the game. Uh, San Francisco won this game on the ground and with special teams, despite the missed Mm -hmm. Robbie Gold field goal. Cincinnati actually had the better passing DVOA, but San Francisco was much better on the ground and they were better on special teams. And they took home the win in a game that had huge playoff implications. So the Bengals are now looking uh, on the outside, looking in, in the crazy AFC playoff race. And the 49ers, I believe, are in the sixth spot in the NFC. Yeah, they're just ahead. We were looking at that this morning, too, the playoffs. They're just ahead of uh, Washington. But I think they're only a game ahead. There are four or five teams when it's six and seven. Even yeah. there's a San Francisco five and eight team. And yeah, and then you've got Carolina and Seattle at five and eight that are you know only a couple games or one game out of the seventh spot a couple games out of that six spot. Same with the AFC. It seems like this season is closer later than anyone that I remember, um, you know, over the last, last few years, it's going to come down to the wire. Seattle is not dead. Mm -mm. Like I'm declaring Carolina dead because their quarterback situation is terrible, but Seattle is not dead at five and eight. They're not, they could go eight and eight. uh, They could go not, sorry. They could go eight and nine or nine and eight, eight and nine could win. That last playoff spot in the NFC. Yeah, with Carolina. I don't, I don't think it's just because of the seventh playoff spot that it seems so close this year. Because in the AFC, for example, there are right now five teams that are seven and six. So mm-hmm. two of them are currently in playoff position. If we still had only six playoff teams, one of them would currently be in playoff position, but you'd still have like an incredibly close race in the AFC, whether there were six or seven playoff teams. Yeah, and going to the AFC too, you've got, you know, all the way down to the 13th place team, the Dolphins and the Raiders at 13th and 12th are six and seven, only a game out of the sixth and seventh spot, two games out of fourth and fifth. And you met Carolina, you mentioned, you know, they're still – they're still in it, but not only is their quarterback play bad, but they've got two games against Tampa Bay. They've got a game against Buffalo. It, it's going to be hard for them. Uh, to yeah, pull they have by far the hardest game. <clears throat> but, yeah, it'll definitely be fun. It's always fun those last couple of weeks when you've got those crazy playoff scenarios for a team that needs three teams to win, two teams to lose. They have to win. And then some seat you get one of those wherever just the, the cards just fall perfectly and they get in. It's always fun to, to follow those last couple of weeks. I think we're going to have – a handful of those situations. Don't uh, forget if you're watching the show live right now on Monday, please feel free to ask us questions. We're happy to talk about anything from week 14. Uh, And don't forget also the updated edge sports coach rankings coming on Wednesday with Ian and Katie George talking about our rankings of coaches based on how good their teams are, plus how good they've been on fourth downs. Let's move on and talk about the most impactful plays of the week. The plays that had the most impact on the game in terms of win probability, either positive or negative. Speaking of the Carolina Panthers, their quarterback play has been terrible the last couple of weeks, and Cam Newton did a bad thing. Yes, it was the, I think, second quarter, uh, about halfway through third and six at their own or at the Atlanta 36, throws an interception, return for a touchdown. It's always going to hurt you. Uh, this one cost them 24.7% win probability. Surprisingly, in this one, we, it didn't did not turn out the way we thought. We actually had Carolina as around a seven-point favorite. Yeah, uh, I had Carolina the, the for the heavy favorite in this game. Yep. So, and I know, you know, Atlanta, it's weird because they've been bottom of the barrel in DVOA, it seems like, the whole season. They but, still are. They're six and but they seven, have these games. and they're still in last place. They only have positive DVOA for two games this season. This was their best game of the year. And their wins have come. Carolina, I know they beat – I think Jacksonville was one of – like they beat a couple really bad teams that are also like – They beat garbage. <laughs> they're one of those. Yeah, the model doesn't like them, but the last you know couple weeks uh, or against Tampa Bay, it wasn't really 
close, but it just they find a way to 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 have a game like this, like you said, <laughs> where they come out with Carolina as pretty heavy favorites in our eyes, and you know, two and a half I think was the closing line on the market. But yeah, this was not good for Carolina. They they were tied at the time, and this uh, gave Atlanta a seven point lead and kind of didn't really look back uh, from there on. Number the four, only upset of the week, by the way. This was the only one. This was the only game of the week where the underdog won the game outright. That's surprising. Well, I guess based on the season we've had, it seems pretty surprising. It seems like we've had a, uh, a lot of them, but yeah. But this week it was all favorites. Yeah, and a lot, like you mentioned, top a lot of blowouts games that just were not. It was pretty boring, uh, at least in the early window. But one game that was boring that ended up being really good was coming, which comes in at number four and number one. Number four was the Baltimore into the game fourth and six at the 40, their own 45 would have been awesome to see Justin Tucker come out to attempt a 72 or 73 yard field goal. Uh, but they, instead they went for it, which obviously we thought was the right call. Um, but we're not able to convert, drop them 27.6% effectively lost the game. Cleveland was able to kneel out the clock more wow. questionable there. We talked about was the, the decision to throw it two yards past the line of scrimmage instead of actually <laughs> past the sticks. Why? I, yeah. Okay. You just said what I was about to say. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand why you do that. I mean, it is a backup quarterback, Tyler Huntley, which we've, we've accounted for in the game, but I mean, he had the game against Chicago uh, where they, you know, he led them on the comeback down the field, made some good throws. And yeah, that was, was questionable. That's a conversation, a different conversation, but the, the fact, the, the execution on the play, the failure to convert was 27.6. Number 30. The big thing I'm waiting for today is news on Lamar Jackson's injury. I yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with Lamar Jackson's injury. Uh, when I did the playoff odds simulation this morning, I gave Baltimore a forty percent uh, a forty percent uh, chance of Lamar Jackson being out for the season. Hmm. We have no idea. I have no idea how bad his injury was. Yeah, I haven't heard much. You know, he obviously didn't come back into play. So you know, it had to have been bad enough or maybe being, you know, recalled. they were down big at the time. I would still think, you know, like we said, every game is a big game at the, from this point out as close as everyone is. So I would think it's somewhat serious, but, man, I don't know. Oh, so we've got a comment about Buffalo, well, which that brings let, up an interesting point. About top, let's finish the top five, and then we'll answer Patrick okay. Sealer's question about the Bills. Yeah, so number three we talked about was the Brashad Perriman touchdown from Tom Brady to win the game. 36% increase up to, obviously, 100%. Number two, Robbie Gold's missed field goal at the end of regulation. That would have won a 47-yarder. Cost them 40.1% in win probability. And uh, just kind of a note on that. So the 40.1% dropped them down to 50.1. And that 50.1 is accounting for the fact that they kicked off in overtime. So it doesn't really average the two, like, Okay, if they kick off, if they receive, what is it? Um, it just goes based on the next play. Uh, so if they would have gotten the ball, it would have been a little bit less, but still 40% drop there at 90% prior to that kick. And then number one, the successful onside kick, which doesn't happen often. We've had a, a handful of them in the last couple of weeks, though, and Chicago had one last night as well. They recovered kind of at a meaningless point of the game, but this one was a 45.8% increase. They were at only 12.1% chance to win prior to that kick. And then jumped up to 57.9 were favorites based on Justin Tucker's, you know, best in history leg. Um, but they weren't able to come through. But still, the onside kick at that moment in time was worth almost 46%, taking them up, making them favorites at the time at 58%. Uh, so let's talk about Patrick Seeley's question here. Hey, stats guys, that's us. Why is everyone saying that a near 500 team, the Buffalo Bills, had a good game? Do the stats say that running the ball with a running back zero times and a half is a smart strategy? Okay, let's take this. And then he also asked if Josh Allen actually played a good game since he had only three points with one interception in the first half. Okay, let's take each part by itself. First, the Buffalo Bills absolutely had a good game when you consider especially who they play, right? Tampa Bay is number one in DVOA for the season. Playing them to overtime, you have played a good game. And Buffalo, look, I know they're seven and six. I've talked about this. They are the second most inconsistent team we've ever measured. They used to be the most inconsistent. Now they're number two. Um, 
But if who's number one? Just curious. Two thousand five San Francisco 49ers. Okay. If you combine all of Buffalo's play for the year, they are really good. They are still fourth in DVOA overall and fifth in weighted DVOA, which lowers the strength of some of those earlier games where they like clobbered the Houston Texans. And lost to Pittsburgh. <laughs> but and, and lost to Pittsburgh, but clobbered Houston and beat Kansas City, which looks better and better as each week goes on. That win over Kansas City looks better and better. Yep. Um, the fact is, if you combine everything together, Buffalo, Buffalo still has the number one defense in the league by our numbers. Like that is, I know they're only seven and six, but if you believe in play-by-play breakdowns and you believe in looking closer at the stats than just the top-level wins and losses, Buffalo is a pretty good team. And other stats will tell you the same thing. EPA, I believe, also has Buffalo near the top. I know we don't adjust for it. How much does losing Tredavious White, in in your opinion, kind of lower them? Or do you still think they're they're number one in defense? Yeah, I mean, I think it lowers them. I mean, right now, if you said to me, you know, who's the best defense in the league right now? I don't think it's Buffalo. Okay, because especially if you look, so if you look at weighted defensive DVOA, right? So weighted to recent games, you have New England one, Dallas two, Buffalo three, Arizona four. And I think with the Tredavious White injury, I would drop Buffalo below Arizona. But they're still, still pretty a good. pretty good team. Um, and so, yes, Patrick says the seventh seed in the AFC has a top five DVOA. Yeah. Like there have been teams that are better than Buffalo that missed the playoffs, starting with Buffalo. The best team to ever miss the playoffs by DVOA was the 2004 Buffalo Bills. And they were over 30% in DVOA. And not only did they miss the playoffs, they weren't even the seventh seed. If there had been seven playoff teams that year, they still would have missed it. So it is possible to be this high and miss the playoffs, and Buffalo could do it. But I think their schedule gets much easier from now on, except for the Patriots rematch. And I think Buffalo should make the playoffs pretty easily. What do the stats say about not running the ball at all? That is a question for a larger research project. But I think this is one where we have to trust the film people a little bit. That if you never run the ball, the type of blitzes that you can run against that offense are different. You never, ever, if you never, ever, ever have to worry about the run. I mean, they they weren't even really running a lot of play action. They had two options where I think Allen had the option to hand off, but he didn't hand off. I mean, I'm surprised they didn't try like a draw play. When they did try a draw play in the second half, it worked pretty well. So, I mean, look, this is one of the great debates of analytics. What is the proper pass-run ratio? And we all in the analytics world all believe that teams do not pass the ball enough. But whatever is the happy medium is not this, <laughs> right? right? Like, like it, it, it's not this. This is not where the happy medium is, zero runs. Like the happy medium includes some runs. This was extreme. Yeah, um, they did end up with what, 19, it was 19 rushes, 12 of them by Josh Allen, so. Yeah, I mean, mostly by Allen. And by the way, that gets to the next question, which is, did Allen have a good game? Bad, he had a bad game passing, but you do have to think about the opponent that he faced as a strong pass defense. He had an amazing game running the ball, he had tons of value running the ball. So, did he play a good game? He played a good half. I don't think I would say he played a good game, I'd say he played a good half. I'd say he played an average game. If you combine the bad part with the good part, you get an average game. Um, and whether DVOA, Patrick says, so DVOA doesn't correlate with wins at all. Well, it does correlate with wins. It's just, it's, it's, it's meant to be more predictive than prescriptive, uh, than, you know, descriptive, you know, like it's meant to look at the real goal of DVOA is to look at the platonic ideal 
of how good teams are. Okay, so if we lived in this imaginary world where you could put numbers on teams that said how good they really were, like the, the platonic like ideal of like which team is really better than which team, like that's what we're trying to get at with DVOA. So does that correlate with wins? A lot, but not entirely, right? Like there are teams like Tennessee. Tennessee is nine and four and 21st in DVOA. And there are teams like Buffalo. Buffalo is seven and six and fourth. But if you look at the top 10 in DVOA, who is it? It's mostly the teams that are at the top of the playoff race. Tampa, New England, Dallas, Arizona, Rams, Kansas City, Green Bay. So there you go. Yeah, kind of reminds me of Green Bay a couple of years ago that in LaFleur's first year, they were what 13 and three, but went like six and one in close games or something that yeah. isn't, you know, predicted from year to year. And they were you know, low teens, I think, in DVOA most of the year. And, you know, as a Packers fan, I sit there, I'm like, what's going on? They're, you know, 13 and three, but they did, they didn't look good much of the, the year. Um, they were just found a way to win those close games. I was about I mean, to say they the same good. thing. Tennessee. They didn't look, um, they didn't look great. Yeah. And now right. Tennessee, you know, the Tennessee fans were kind of all over us and you all for our power rankings, DVOA, they're so low, but they were, what, eight and two or something at the time. And, and then they they lost two in a row and just they really hadn't looked very good all year and were just finding a way to win close games. Had the loss to the Jets and then um, so yeah, it's it, like you said, I agree. Kind of following it, and the more I've understood it as I've kind of been around it a lot more, it is is interesting how most of the time the good teams are near the top, but there are always some outliers. Right, as as Chad Reuter says, wins and losses are binary, but DVOA and other statistics cover a spectrum of possibilities. And it is possible to be, you know, it is possible to play the better game and lose. Like that happens a lot because yep. random bounce of the ball or just the how you, um, you know, how you uh, order your plays, uh, you know, whether you score or not score, how good you are in the red zone, you could play the better overall game and lose. It happens. The question is what predicts which teams are going to be better for the future. So we're trying to do that, do a better job of predicting for the future. Yeah. Almost um, if they had like a series of games, like in baseball or basketball, um, it's kind of, I think right. a way to look at it too. Baseball would be very different if we played 162 of these things instead yeah. of 17. A lot more injuries too. <laughs> um, yeah. Lots more injuries. Let's talk about the top five coaching decisions of the week. Uh, yep, coming in at number five again on this list is uh, Carolina Panthers. Matt Rule. This one kind of had some some trouble with if it should go in here. You know, every week we pull out obvious goes. You know, Baltimore had the one late that they had to go for. They had no other choice. This was a fourth and two at their own thirty-three. They're down fourteen with twelve minutes and eighteen seconds left. They still have all, both teams have all three of their timeouts. It's a two point six percent increase in win probability which comes out to, you know, almost a 25% relative increase. But it's a situation where I can see, you know, we, we talked about it, can see a lot of coaches punting here saying 12 minutes is a lot of time. It's 14, or it's a 12 point deficit, two touchdowns. Even if we give up a field goal, it's going to be, you know, 15 points to two possession games still. I can see a lot of coaches thinking that way. So we left it in. We also, there really weren't a ton of good goes. You can see our number one is only. Yeah, these are low. These are low percentage. Yep. We'll see some of them end up in the errors. We already talked about a couple of them. But yeah, three and a half is the highest. That's usually our lowest. That's usually our number five, if not that number higher at number five. But nonetheless, Matt Rule made the right decision here to go for it from his own 33. They did convert. Number four, or uh, yeah, number four, Ron Rivera. Washington, this was early in the game, right at the end of the first quarter, had a fourth and one, I uh, believe, oh, sorry, fourth and two at the Dallas 46. Pretty much a no-brainer, really not a lot of explanation on this or the next one. Um, down 11, you're between kind of your own 40, 45, and the opponent's 40. On a fourth and one or a fourth and two, more often than not, that's going to be a go based on the what you gain in field position isn't worth as much as a lot of coaches kind of give it credit for. And being a fourth and two, you know, that's a, a, a decision that should go for it, you know, most of the time. We see we saw Joe Judge punt here last week a ton. Uh, of course Joe Judge punted. Uh, this is a great example of how process, how you have to judge process separate from results because Taylor Henneke got sacked for a strip sack yep. fumble. 
Micah Parsons announcing, yes, I should be considered for defensive player of the year and returned for a touchdown. So that play sucked for Washington. Yeah, one of those where you say worst case scenario, you don't get it, whatever. This is the true worst case scenario. You turn the ball over and give up a touchdown. But to your point, the process, the decision to go for it is the right call to give yourself a chance to retain possession there. Number two and number three, I guess we have two number twos. They're tied. Uh, we've got Dan Campbell on here again. This one is pretty much a no-brainer for anyone except Bill Belichick or Mike Tomlin or Joe Judge. But fourth and one at the 50, early in the second quarter, nine minutes left, down seven, you go for it. Campbell's been really good at this all year. The team isn't very good, but they actually did convert this one too. Last week they failed on two fourth and one. Campbell went, on a, lot, Campbell went on a lot of fourth downs because Campbell – is not interested in moral victories of losing by a small amount. Campbell was like, you play to win the game. We're trying to win the game. Over and over in this game, he went for it on fourth down, fourth and longs, because he wanted to keep the ball and try to come back rather than reduce the amount that they lost to Denver. So all kudos to Dan Campbell for trying to do that with his crappy roster. Yeah, and blowouts obviously look bad, but it's not the BCS. You know, you don't get – style points for anything like you said they're, they're not going anywhere this year if they haven't been eliminated yet maybe they were yesterday um, i know there were a couple the texans i think were the only ones as of last week that got eliminated um but they're even if they were technically still in the playoff hunt they weren't going anywhere so to your point like why not go for it you know yes you don't want to some people might look at it as him being reckless and saying you know this isn't madden but in a way you know first year coach a lot of times they're conservative he's he's not he's been aggressive taking advantage, kind of getting used to, I guess, getting the players used to, to this kind of stuff. There's something to be said for that and just putting trust in your offense kind of for the future. And you said the roster just isn't good. Um, but when you're that big of an underdog in pretty much every game, like you have no other choice than to keep going for it to try, try and sneak out a win. And they were able to get one last week. This week wasn't as close. But anyway, kudos, except kudos to Dan Campbell, who's kind of kept it going for the whole season, except for a couple games there in the middle. Uh, Sean Payton, number two. So he's going to end up on both of these lists. Uh, number two was uh, fourth and one at the Jets, 26, their first possession of the game. This one, again, is a no-brainer. You've got Taysom Hill against the Jets. That offense isn't scaring anyone, especially with a, a Saints defense that maybe hasn't been as good lately as they were or as they can be. I know they had some, some people out yesterday. Cameron Jordan was out, maybe a couple other other guys. But Against the Jets, I mean, you've, you've got to go for that. And he did. It was also 2.9. And then number one, Matt LaFleur, uh, the fourth and goal in the two in the second quarter. That was kind of the start of a crazy, you know, six minutes. Ended up being, I think it was 45 points or 40-something points in the second quarter. Um, was just a crazy sequence, but this was the right call. Fourth and goal at the two uh, to go for it there. Pretty heavy favorites. They were still, I think, over 50% to win prior to this play, even though they were down 10 nothing. Early on, they were at 62.2 by going for it. They converted, ended up getting them up to 71% on the conversion. So great call, Matt LaFleur. On that one, I know I think you said the uh, the over hit in the first half uh, with that last We were getting the first half. It was one of my ESPN, ESPN best bets this week was the over on this game, and it hit in the first half. I think the, the second quarter was only one point. The second quarter alone was only one point shy of the over for the game in yeah. total. So yeah, crazy sequence there. Green Bay special teams, absolutely horrible. As a as a Packers fan, it is unbearable to watch at times. And yesterday was awful. Dead, but dead, dead last in DVOA, even though the muff was nullified and the onside mm -hmm. kick doesn't count for DVOA. Still last in DVOA. Yeah, that I guess they're taking over the throne from the Chargers now. They've been, what, three years in a row they've been the worst? The Chargers have been the worst, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully that, – that's one thing, too, that the way they give up return, especially yesterday, it's – that's going to cost them a game in the playoffs against a good team. You know, it's tough. But LaFleur, fourth downs, he makes makes the right call more often than not there. He's second in our coach rankings. So more of the same for Matt LaFleur. Uh, to answer Patrick Seeley's question quickly, he says, what does a high DVOA team which loses mean? Does it mean the coaching lost the game? It could mean a lot of different things. Different games, it means different things. It could mean the coaching lost the game. It could mean you lost the game on the kind of random variation plays that aren't included in DVOA. 
like fumble recovery luck or onside kicks or, um, you know, blocked punts returned for touchdowns and such. Um, it could mean just you had bad sequencing of your plays. Like you played really well until you got to the 20 and then you were really bad in the red zone. So you had to kick field goals and the other team just happened to be really good in the red zone on the like two drives where they actually moved the ball and therefore they won the game, even though for most of the game, they weren't moving the ball at all. And you were like, there's a lot of different reasons why a team with the higher DVOA for the game loses the game. It could mean a lot of different things. Uh, let's talk about the worst coaching decisions of the week. And uh, yep. Sean Payton will show up on this list too. Yeah, a couple times. So number five was a fourth and one at his own 34. Early in the game, not ones we see a lot of coaches go for other than, you know, mentioned Dan Campbell has done it a couple times. Zach Taylor did it early in the season. Sean Payton, it's – so he was really good. You, you know, you think of him as very analytical. He was good until last year. We actually looked it up during the podcast that we did earlier because just kind of trying to get his ranks a couple of years ago, he was um, up there last year. He was dead last in CCI, which is our fourth down decision-making metric this year. Historically, he's fairly aggressive. Exactly. And this year, you know, he's still up there in the top 10. He is at ninth, only 12th in CCI. I imagine he's going to drop a little bit after this week, maybe not too far because he did have the good, the good decision. These, you know, are, you know, this one is a smaller error, but when we get to that top one, you know, he's going to, he's definitely going to drop. I would not, would not, I would be surprised if he doesn't, but this one, your own 34, again, Taysom Hill, the Saints, Alvin Kamara's back. You're playing the Jets. It's early in the game. You don't get it. I mean, it, it, yes, they're in field goal range, but it's already a long field goal range. No one mentioned, no one's really scared of that offense. They're not, you know, Zach Wilson's back out there. They're what last in offense, I think in DVOA. Um, so oh, really, Zach Wilson's been terrible this year, but they're actually they're not last in offense in DVOA because Mike White and Joe Flacco played so much better than Zach Wilson. So with with Zach Wilson, though, you like you said, he's been awful. So really, no reason not to go for it there. Um, number four, I guess these two are tied for number four. Mike McCarthy. This one's a little bit more questionable um, from the outside looking in. They're up seven, fourth and three on their own twenty with three sixteen left. So this is a 3.3% error. This is right after the, the pick six that uh, Prescott threw. An argument that I'm sure we're going to get is that Washington had all the momentum at this point. You don't go for it, this and that. But this is a very similar situation to the Detroit one last week. Even if you don't get it, yes, they're in, they're in field goal range, but they need a touchdown to, take, to tie or to take the lead if they go for two. So – Worst kind of worst case scenario is they score an extra point. I guess the real worst case is they go for two and they get it. Dallas still has two timeouts, three minutes left, a two-minute warning. Chances are they're going to have enough time only needing a field goal to win that game. So with that offense, too, that Dallas has, you know, the Washington defense has been better of late. But with that offense, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to be confident that you're going to get those three yards. And it's just time's running out. You know, if you punt the ball away and Washington – goes down and if they're going to score a touchdown an extra point they're probably again they're probably going to take off take up the whole clock if they force overtime then you're at the mercy of the coin flip um if they go for two you know that's another play you got to defend that's close to a 50 50 shot at converting that to, to win the game so this is just one where coaches still haven't come around to this one that late in the game in their own territory they don't really put a whole lot of stock into the fact that hey yes they're already in scoring range but it's going to be a quick score if they score at all, um, you know, and, and you can still trust your defense to get a stop and force them into four downs, get the stop on fourth down. And then the, the clock's pretty much gone at that point anyway. So still a little bit questionable for people, you know, maybe that aren't so analytically minded or who are anti analytics, but all in all, it's the right call. Again, it's a small error, 3.3%. We're not saying they lose by punting here. They're still at 86% chance to win by punting. 89 by going for it, they're still going to win over four out of five times anyway. It's just going for it based on the conversion rates and based on their offensive strengths is the better option because they're going to convert that more often than they're not. Number three, we covered Zach Taylor, uh, fourth and seven from the San Francisco 23 in overtime. Uh, it's a four and a half percent decrease win probability. We covered number two as well, 49ers fourth and two at their own 37 late. 
very similar situation to the Cowboys. They're up seven late in the game. Uh, just keeping the ball in your hands, not giving the other team an opportunity to even try and tie it up. Just try and run that clock out as best as you can. This 5.2, and then the Sean Payton, this one was very surprising to me. It's fourth and two on the Jets' eight at the end of the third quarter. They're up four. A field goal puts you up three, or puts you up seven, sorry, gets you three points, puts you up seven. Okay, you know, you kick off, whatever, it's the Jets. If you go for it and don't get it, they're on their own eight. That's prime you know pressure pick how often do you see you know those 15 yard pick sixes where they kind of throw it out in the flat takes it back you know you're in a really good situation on an inexperienced quarterback to get pressure on him and make him make a mistake if not you're making him go 92 yards to get a touchdown to take the lead or to get into field goal range they're still down one if they kick a field goal there's a whole quarter left there's gonna be a lot of time for you to make that up so with sean payton there just this one was very surprising i, I thought for sure he was gonna go for it. he actually took the delay of game to move back on the field goal than to go for it. So you'd rather lose five yards than attempt to pick up the first down. You know, five yards that close to a field goal isn't a huge difference. doesn't really hurt you as much, but it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. All right, let's talk uh, about Monday Night Football. Let's preview Monday Night Football a little bit here. Uh, we've got uh, Rams and Cardinals, the big NFC West showdown tonight. Uh, it says here in my notes that the Cardinals are favored by two, but that would be a change. I thought it was three. So hold on, and I'm checking. No, it's two and a half. Cardinals are favored by two and a half in this game tonight. Uh, Cardinals are currently fifth in DVOA, and the Rams are sixth. So, I mean, that includes Colt McCoy, though. So, the you know, Cardinals are a little bit better than the Rams if you – adjust for, you know, the idea that they have Kyler Murray back. Yeah, both both top six defenses. I know I saw your tweet from last week about, you know, with Kyler, they're seventh in DVOA. I think they're like 19th with Colt McCoy. It, it comes out third, to if, you're, if the offense doesn't include the McCoy games, they would be third in DVOA last week. Yeah. So, yeah, you've got two top six defenses, two what, top five offenses, again, top six, five or six overall. Really good game. Uh, you mentioned the market now at two and a half. That's moved a little bit. We actually have this as a four-point game in favor of Arizona. I think partially, um, as we've talked about, we've got a little bit of a home field advantage factor in there. Although, uh, was that this morning you tweeted out about the record for home versus away? Yeah, home teams are 500 this year. So maybe and there's some to that. Really less than 500 because that includes two games in London. Okay. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. You know, that's something that, you know, to look into. Definitely. I know we, we've had those conversations, but as it is right now, you know, we've got that baked in a little bit, four point game. So over a little bit over a field goal. So it's pretty strong. We're at 65% win probability for Arizona and at a two and a half point spread, that's about a 59% chance to cover. Uh, what the part that really surprised me about this game is the over or under the total here is at 51 points. I, as a individual, I'm not surprised. Our model has this, as a 47 point total. So to, to score, stay under 51 points. So to go 50 or below, we've got it at just under 60% of our simulations. It stays under 51. This one is kind of giving me vibes of the Kansas City, uh, Los Angeles Rams, Monday Night Football game a couple of years ago that I could easily see being an 80, 90 point total. There are two really good defenses, but it just seems like the offenses, you know, we know how good they are, how powerful they are that a couple, you know, turnovers here and there, maybe a couple pick sixes from the defenses are setting them up in good field goal or in good field position and some quick strikes. It seems like this could be, I would take the over if it were me, but we like the under a little bit more as a company at Edge Sports in our model. A little surprising to me though. Um, I will point out that the Arizona offense is second and the Rams defense is 30th on short middle passes. Mm. First time these team played, those passes mostly went to Max Williams, who is now injured. So maybe this is a big Zach Ertz game. Also, the Cardinals defense is sort of weak against wide receiver threes, and Van Jefferson had 90 yards and a touchdown in the first meeting of these teams. So maybe a good Van Jefferson game. Uh, the Rams kick ass in ESPN's um, trench stats. Uh, they lead the league in pass rush win rate and run-stop win rate, and the offensive line is second in pass-block win rate, 
and fifth in run block win rate. The Cardinals are lower in these stats, but they're still above average. But the Rams are definitely the dominating team in the trenches. So I actually, if a gun was to my head and I was forced to make a pick, I would go with Rams plus two and a half. But I mean, I like the Cardinals slightly to win overall. And I think, I think this is a very close matchup. Yeah, the market that we've got the public money, 52% of the bets are on the Rams, 62% of the money as of now. So that's really close, a little bit more of the money on LA. I'm I'm kind of with you. I, I think it's going to be really close. It should be. You know, it's a good, they did a good job for what's uh, scheduling. Or we've had some good Monday night games, but should be a really good game to cap the week, the final week of buys. Next week, we'll have everyone back in action. But just hoping for a good game, not a blowout. If it's going to be, you know, no defense in a high scoring game or, Good defense and a fairly low scoring, but close. Would expect that. It's the last couple times with the Rams on, you know, primetime. I don't know how much stock to really put into that, but the Titans game, the Packers game was, I don't know if it's really a primetime. They were 430, but it was the the national game. They've come out kind of flat. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, they had the big win last week, but it was Jacksonville. Um, so interesting poke, poke, there. Poke. But... Wake up, guys. Make this a good game. Let's do it. Come on. Poke, poke, poke. <laughs> Yeah, both of these teams should be. I know uh, this is the one the Cardinals can be the first to clinch the playoffs, I believe, too, with a win tonight. That's all they yes. had. They had the easiest path this week, just a win and they're in. All right. Thanks, folks, for joining us. Uh, don't forget we live stream on YouTube and Twitch, Twitter and Facebook, and in the widget in the corner of the website every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Scott Spratt and Derek Klassen will be here tomorrow to talk fantasy football and Wednesday it's Mike Panier and I believe JP Acosta. And then Thursday, we're going to have Seth Kaiser, who is a Kansas city chiefs analyst to talk about whether the chiefs really are the favorite in the AFC at this point. Uh, don't forget that all the shows are available after the fact on the football outsiders podcast network. So you can listen to them like in your car while you work out. And don't forget, as I mentioned at the top of the show, FO Plus on sale, 99 cents a week for an annual subscription. It's a limited time offer that gets you all of our stats and analysis, fantasy and betting information. Do not miss out. Footballoutsiders.com slash subscribe. Ian, thank you as always for joining me on Monday. Everybody enjoy Monday Night Football. And Scott Spratt will be here with you tomorrow at Tuesday. I will talk to you on Wednesday. Take care, everybody.